but Easter is coming up, and we want you to spend Easter with your peeps. And to help you out, uh, not only do we want you to come, because you're our peeps, and we want you to be a part of our Easter services, 7 o'clock sunrise, 9, 30, 11 in here. Uh, all three services the same, so pick the one that works best for you. Attend that uh, service. But we want you to invite neighbors, friends, uh, family members, co-workers, we want your peeps to come and celebrate Easter with us. So on your way out, there are three tables with peeps on them and an invite card to our Easter service. Everybody take one of the peeps. We, we have a five-count peep, we have a 12-count peep, we have a 15-count peep, and we have chocolate-covered peeps. Whichever one you want. Take the one that you want, Give it to a friend. If your friend doesn't like peeps, number one, get friends with better taste. All right? Number two, you eat the peep and give them the invite card. Whatever works, we want you to invite your peeps to Easter. And so on the way out, grab a peep and an invite card and invite somebody to Easter. It's only two weeks away. I know that some of you, maybe you're going out of town on spring break, so... Remember to come back on the 8th and then be ready to be here on the 9th for Easter Sunday, right? Get your calendar all lined up there so that you're ready to be with us on Easter Sunday. All right, we'll tell you more about peeps uh, in the next couple of weeks. How many of you like peeps? My people right here. These, these are my peeps right here. All right, we often tell ourselves, one of the things we tell ourselves and we tell our kids when we go through hard moments is you got to make lemonade out of lemons, you gotta make when when life is hard, when life is difficult, you have to find what can we learn, how can we grow, what is the good, and whatever this difficult situation is. The problem, of course, is none of us really like life's lemons. Right? None of us choose lemons. None of us want lemons. Life lemons are like real lemons in that they're bitter. Um, they're sometimes unexpected. They're sometimes overpowering. They're, they're a little bit explosive. None of us choose lemons. None of us want lemons in this life. Did you ever give your kid a lemon when they were little and they didn't know? Like, this is why we have trust issues, right? They thought you, they thought you cared about them, and then you did that to them. You, we all did it, right? We all did it, and we got that immediate reaction from our kids that probably looks something like this video. That's how we respond to lemons. Real lemons, life lemons, hard things in life, bitter things in life. Uh, maybe you like a little bit of lemon, right? But, but we don't like the whole thing. We, we like a few drops in 20 ounces of water or 20 ounces of tea or, or a few drops uh, sprinkled over some of our food. We, we don't want the whole thing at once. The, the difficult thing about life is... We don't get to choose whether we get lemons or not. 
right? We can choose whether we eat lemons or not, real lemons or not. We, uh, as kids, we don't have that choice because our parents do that to us. But eventually, pretty quickly, you get to a certain age where you can say, no, I don't want that in that way. When it comes to the lemons of life, you, you can't avoid them. You don't get to pick and choose, I want this, or I want a little bit of that, but not too much. I, I want it spread out over something really, really sweet. And it, you don't get to make those decisions. You know, we're like the kids in the video. It just it shows up, and it, and it startles us, and, and often it catches us off guard. You don't get to choose them. You don't, you don't get to choose the degree of bitterness that the lemons of your life hand you. You don't get to choose how long they stay. Now, that's one thing about tasting a lemon is the, the taste, that initial bitterness, that initial shock starts to dissipate pretty quickly. You can rinse your mouth out. You can get rid of that taste. The lemons that we experience in life, though, they don't always just go away. They, they don't always begin to dissipate. But, but here's, what we, here's what we do have. We can avoid bitter places in life, but we have a God that works in the bitter places of our life. We have a God that shows up in the hard places of our life. And He not only shows up, He's not only present, but our God brings sweet from the bitter places of our life. This is part of his ongoing work in our life is in the hard places. God brings about something that's good, something that's lasting. It doesn't, it doesn't remove all of the pain of the bitter, all of the taste of the bitter, but God has a way of, of bringing sweetness out of really hard places, out of really bitter places. We've been looking at the names of God, uh, primarily in the Old Testament. Ways that God names himself, ways that other people name him. We've covered four. God said he's the I am, he's the God who's there, he's the God who sees, and he's the God who provides. We're going to look at a fifth one today. It comes in Exodus chapter 15, second book of the Bible if you want to follow along. Exodus chapter 15, it begins with a song. As a matter of fact, my Bible has a label before this chapter and the label is the song of Moses and Miriam that's the heading in my particular Bible the song of Moses and Miriam the, the place we are in the story of the God's people is that Moses has just led them out of Egypt they were in bondage for 400 years they were enslaved and God uses Moses to go to Pharaoh and eventually uh, leads the people out of Egypt and as they're leaving Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And in front of them is an impassable body of water. Behind them is Pharaoh's army. So there's no way to go forward. There's no way to go back. They're stuck. Too much water in front. We can't swim that. Uh, we can't walk through that. It's too deep. It's too much. Too much water in front. Too much army in back. And, and most of you know the story. God tells Moses to lift up his staff over the waters. And the waters part. God's people walk through on dry ground. They get all the way to the other side. Pharaoh's army follows them into the parted waters. And when all of God's people are safe on the other side, the waters close and Pharaoh's army is destroyed. So once they get on the other side, obviously they are wowed by what God just did. This is the end of chapter 14. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him 
and in Moses his servant they saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed their fear of the Egyptian army was gone their their trust their reverence their their respect for God increased their respect for God's leader Moses increased all of this incredible thing hap, things happen so then we go into chapter 15 and it's kind of like the the praise chorus the praise song as they're reflecting on that moment Moses leads them in this in this lengthy song about how great God is and they sing things like who is like you God like we've never seen any God be able to do this who's like you in majesty and holiness you're awesome in glory God just everything is God you're you're fantastic we can't believe what we just saw we can't believe what just happened and then Miriam comes along and and she adds like a little tag like a little chorus to the song they had been singing Uh, Exodus 15 verse 20 says then Miriam the prophet Aaron's sister took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing Miriam sang to them sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea so they just keep singing they just keep making up new songs God that was that was incredible we, we can't believe how you saved us, how you rescued us. We can't believe what you did to the army. We're just going to keep singing and singing, and, and then they stop singing. Then the music ends. And verse 22 says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah means, means bitter. So they leave this worship service, and they're all excited, and they're singing at the top of their voices, and they got timbrels, and they got cymbals, and they're, they're just going at it. And three days later, They've seen nothing but desert. Three days later, the, the echoes of the worship service have all died down. The celebration that, they, that was so real and so powerful is quiet all of a sudden because they went from huge worship service, three days in the desert. And this has happened to most of us. Most of us are old enough that this has happened to us. We had a moment where things were going so perfectly in our life. We had just commented to somebody. This ever happened to you? We had just commented to somebody, things are going so great. Our family has never been better. Like Things have never been better for us. And three days later, you're in the desert. And and the, the, the echoes of the song that you were singing seem distant. They seem far away. It, it, it seems like you, you can't get back to that because now you're so far into the desert. This is a small example, not really life-altering example at all, but when I come to work on Mondays, it's always kind of weird because I'll walk down the hallway and I'll think, wow, like 24 hours ago we were all here. And we were singing and I, was, I saw people, I saw friends and hugged the necks and, and we shook like this hallway was crowded yesterday and now it's Monday now it's Monday it's that sort of thing right we, we have this and then it's Monday 
We have moments where things seem to be going so perfectly, going so well. Everything's going according to plan. Like things we haven't even prayed for are coming true. Like we didn't even ask God for it. They just showed up. Like this is an incredible thing that God is doing. And, and then it's Monday. And you look around and you wonder, where did all of that go? How, how, how do I get back to that? You've, you've experienced that. The echoes of the songs that you sang are a distant memory because you're in a hard, dry place. You don't even remember singing, God, you hurled horse and driver into the sea. You don't even remember the lyrics anymore because it's been three days and you're in the desert. This is, this is where the Hebrew children find themselves. Great worship service, three days in the desert. So much joy, so much celebration, so much bitterness all of a sudden, so dry. Now, it's interesting the way this story is told. The problem is not a new problem. The challenge is not a new challenge that they're facing. Three days ago, the challenge was water. Too much water. The challenge three days later is water, too little water. We had too much water back then. We didn't know what to do with it. God showed up. Now we got too little water, and we don't know what to do now either. And, 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 and apparently they don't connect the two. They, in their minds, they don't think, you know what, this is, a, this is a new variation on something we faced before it's not exactly the same I mean all the details aren't the same we had too much back then we got too, mil- too little right now but we know what God did three days ago and we know the water problem wasn't a problem to God and so now we're facing a different water problem maybe we should trust God or maybe we should just pray maybe we should wait on God maybe we should continue to celebrate and continue to worship it and if that's how you think the Hebrew children reacted then you don't know very many people right that's not how people react that's not how we react even when it's a similar problem even when it's a variation on something that we've seen God solve before we're a lot like these people notice how they responded verse 24 so the people grumbled against Moses saying what are we to drink we got this water problem Moses what are you going to do about it we're dry. We're in the, we're in the desert. You know, what have you done for me lately? Like the thing three days ago, that was cute and all, but we got a problem now. They complained. They pointed fingers. They attacked. Here's what I've experienced, not belittling them, owning it for me. What, what I've experienced and what I've seen other people experience. The current desert often seems long, larger than the past provision because the immediate overshadows the past. What I'm in now takes precedent over everything I saw happen before. And, and I know God did good things back then. God showed up back then. But I'm here now, and the now seems bigger. It, it, it seems more critical because it's now. It's now. And again, I'm not, I'm, not, I, I'm not criticizing anybody for that. I see this all the time in my life. I see this all the time in the lives of people that I minister to 
is yes God did something back then but this is now I know God solved that problem in their life but mine is different God showed up for me in the past but this situation is different and what we mean I think I think what we mean is I don't know how this one's going to work out yet like I'm happy that the past one's worked out I believe God worked those out I know God was there but I'm still in this one I'm still in this desert I still have a question mark at the end of this particular problem that I'm in and so it's hard for me to sing it's hard for me to celebrate it's hard for me to trust because I'm still in this one I, I, I talk to I talk to people often and, and, and there is that tendency to want to share how God worked it out in my life or how God worked it out in someone else's life and that can be a great encouragement I'm not saying it's not ever an encouragement I just know that when you're in it for you, there's always that question of, well, what if mine doesn't work out the way yours worked out? Well, what if this one doesn't work out even though the last one worked out? There's, there's something about the immediate that causes me to discount what I know in the past. All throughout the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, we're told to remember, remember, remember what God has done. Remember when God did this. Remember when God did this. The Passover meal is all about remembering how God brought us out of Egypt. That's such a great pattern. That's, a, that, that's such a great thing for us to do. But many of you know like I do. When it's now, it just takes on this bigger weight. And it may not be bigger. It's certainly not bigger to God. Do we think that the bitter water in chapter 15 is bigger than the Red Sea in chapter 14? Of course not. But the bitter water is what I'm facing now. And that's true in our lives. Seeing God do things. I trust God. I really do. I really do trust God. But I don't know how he's going to handle now. I don't know what's going to happen now. Verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. What was bitter was now sweet. What would cause death and sickness is now going to give life. God takes what is bitter, what is hard, and turns it into something good. And everybody here says, got to give me one of those sticks, right? And we read this story and say, I need, I need that stick. I need that because I got some things I need to throw at it. I, I need to throw a stick at some things. My life. I wish I just throw a stick and it's sweet. I just throw a stick and it's no longer hard. I just throw a stick and it's no longer bitter. But the story's not about the stick, unfortunately. The story's not about the stick. The story's not even about the water. The story is about a God who not only leads us into the desert, but he's there with us and he's walking us to the other side. The story is about a God who doesn't prevent bitter times, 
In, in a fallen world, God doesn't prevent us from going to hard places. He just says, I'm going to take you through those hard places. I'm going to be there present with you in the bitter times. I'm going to bring sweet out of bitter. I'm going to bring good out of difficult. Not going to make the difficult go away. The bitter's not going to be erased from your memory. But God is able to step into bitter times and use it for good. You remember the end of the story of Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for harm, God meant it for good. Listen, those are hard years for Joseph. You know the story. Prison, false accusations, away from his family. You meant it for harm. God was working in the bitter all the time to bring out something sweet. Paul would say in the New Testament, God works all things for our good. God steps into bitter places, bitter waters in your life, and he's capable of drawing out Something sweet from the most bitter places in our lives. God speaks up at this point. This is the second half of verse 25. There, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. God issued a ruling and instruction. God wants to teach us something in the desert. The desert is instructional time. I want to teach you something, God says. I want to issue some instructions. I want to give you some rulings. I want you to learn some things from the desert experience. The desert experience is always teaching time. God's always doing something. He's always at work. And then he went on to say, I'm going to put you to the test. And we know, we, we know that when God tests, it's not for his benefit, right? I've said this before. It's not for his benefit. He's not looking to find out if we're an A student or a C student. God already knows what kind of student we are. Like God already knows what we're going to get on the exam. He wants us to know what we got on the exam. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you a way of testing yourself because I want you to see how you're doing. I want you to see where your faith is. I want you to see where your obedience is. I want, to see, I want you to see just how much you trust me. I already know what God says. I already know. I don't, need, I don't need a test to find this out. But you need to find out where you are. Coming out of the desert, you need to see where you are. How much you trust. How much you're willing to obey. Here's the test. Grade your own papers. How'd you do? How'd you do? What does this say about your spiritual life? Sometimes we think we're doing better than we are. Right? Uh, just like in class, we thought we were prepared for that chemistry test, didn't we? Uh, we thought we were prepared. We didn't study, but we thought we, we kind of picked it up. We listened occasionally in class. You know, we took, we took a half a page of notes over four weeks. <laughs> And um, I, I think I can handle it. But what the test does is the test goes, no, this is where you really are. This is where you really are. When God tests in the Bible, he's going, this is where you really are. Okay, he's not condemning you. He's, he's enlightening you. So come on, I, I want to teach you more. I want to grow you more. But you got to see where you are in faith. You got to see where you are when it comes to following me, trusting me, obeying me. So here's, here's the test. Here's the instruction, verse 26. God said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, 
I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. There's the new name. God says, this is my name. This is who I am. I'm the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord who heals you. <clears throat> it's a challenging name, right? Because our minds go in a lot of different directions. When we find out that God is the God who heals us, is why I put it off to the end, because I didn't really want to talk about this one. Right? He's the God who heals you. What do we do with that? We know that God is capable of healing. Um, you may have some experiences in your past where, you know, we prayed for somebody and we saw God heal. We read the stories of Jesus, and Jesus healed people, blind people and lame people and lepers and, and deaf people, brought somebody back from the dead. We know that Jesus did that. We also know that Jesus didn't heal everybody that he encountered. Just one story. Uh, hang with me. Let me read this whole story from John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. How many disabled people? You weren't ready for that. Let me, let me give you no chance. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. How many disabled people? Perfect. Great number. A great number... Of disabled people used to lie, the blamed, the lime, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well, sir? The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And we celebrate the story and we tell the story of, of the man who was healed. And, and he walked home that day. And there's encounters with the religious leaders after that that we kind of dig into. But we celebrate this incredible moment. This man came to the pool that day, was disabled, couldn't walk. And he walked home that day. How many people were at the pool? How many walked away that day? Yeah. Great number minus one went home that day exactly the same as when they arrived. Great number minus one had the same disease or the same disability at the end of that day as they did at the beginning of that day. See, the Bible the Bible calls God the one who heals. We see evidence of healing in the Bible, but we know, we know from, from reading Scripture, we know from life that there's a great number that doesn't get healing in the way that we think of healing. So what do we do with God who says He is our healer? A couple thoughts to try to position this in our thinking. I would say if God is our healer, and he is, he says that he is, if God is our healer, then it's okay to pray for healing. Like we, don't have to, we don't have to step back from this title. We don't have to carry it at arm's length. It's okay to say, God, I want you to move in this person's life. 
God, I care about this person and they're fighting this disease and they're dealing with this cancer and they're dealing with this particular problem. I want you to heal them. Or in our own lives, God, heal me. God, this is the diagnosis. This is what the future looks like. Unless you intervene, I want you to heal me. We can pray bold, confident prayers because God is our healer. God does heal. God has healed. God will heal us again but but secondly just to kind of put some parameters around this in a fallen world impacted by sin everyone will experience an unanswered prayer for healing like everybody in this room one day you're going to want healing and you're not going to get it in this life everybody since the beginning of time every single human being has come to some point early in life, late in life. Maybe they lived to be 100. Maybe they lived to be older than that. Maybe they didn't get to live that long. But there was some moment when there was not physical healing on this planet in the way that they want. Every one of us is going to experience that. There's only one way to get out of this world. We're not going to just be healed again and again and again. There's going to come a moment for every one of us where that prayer doesn't get answered. Third thought. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ will experience ultimate healing in the next life. And I realize maybe it's somewhat of a cop-out, right? Maybe for some who are questioning faith in God and how we handle the Bible. But here's the reality is that God has promised ultimate healing for everybody who trusts in Christ, steps into heaven. There will be ultimate healing at that moment. And in this life, we get to see sometimes a little foretaste of what's going to happen for everybody in the next life. Occasionally, in this life, we pray and we ask God to heal And there is a temporary time where we see God heal somebody. Maybe you've heard those stories. Doctor said, I don't know. It was on the scan. It's not on the scan. We were going in to do surgery. It's not there. We we know those stories. Some of us have personal stories along those lines. and, And we just believe God intervened. And so for a temporary amount of time, because that prayer is not going to get answered at some point for that person, for a temporary amount of time, We get a little foretaste from one person's experience of what everybody's going to experience one day in heaven. In this life, occasionally, some people get a temporary healing of their physical body in eternity. All of us are going to get an eternal healing of all diseases and all disabilities and all struggles that we have because listen all of us are going to step into heaven with broken bodies at some point all of us are going to step into heaven with bodies that gave out diseased ridden broken bodies and everyone who steps into heaven's getting a new one and it will be perfectly healed forever and forever and forever so in this life we get little taste of what's going to happen for everybody one day. Here's a, here's a fourth thought. 
some of our struggles, some of the lemons that we have, some of the, some of the hard places that we, that we visit, some of our struggles are self-made. And we have, we have to own some of that. Like I'm in some of the situations because of the choices that I made. Remember what, what God said. This was the test. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, God tells the nation, Look, you, you want to know how to avoid some hard places in your life? Obey. Like live faithfully. Follow after me. Again, that is also a little bit of a challenging uh, idea as well be because it's certainly not true that all hard places are your fault or somebody else's fault sometimes we can begin to think that well they're going through that because they deserve it well they're going through that because they must have done something wrong Jesus tries to correct that teaching in his ministry the book of Job tries to cor correct that idea and yet it's still true that some of the the bitterness that we experience in life is there, there's a straight line between the choices that I've made and that bitterness. There's a straight line between the decisions that I made, the actions that I took, and these hard places. It's not a 100% fail-proof way to avoid lemons or to avoid hard places. But you can avoid a lot of lemons in life if you walk faithfully with God. Not all of them. Not all the hard places. You can avoid a lot of them if you walk faithfully with God. Now, last few minutes, let's, let's push back from this, this healer name, which, which is true. And, and let's, let's look at the arc of this story. What, uh, in, this whole, in this moment in the life of the Hebrew children, what do we learn? A couple things. One. Life is continually taking us from celebrations to deserts to springs. This is what life does. It's continually taking us from celebrations to deserts to springs. How many of us have ever said, I just want to get off this merry-go-round? The merry-go-round is life. It's life. And we're going to be on the seashore and we're going to be celebrating, and we're going to be singing, and three days later, we're going to go, I've been in the desert for three days. This is the way life is. Life is moments of celebration and, and hard places, and, and, and God meeting us in those hard places and refreshing us in those hard places. Something else, God's always teaching us something in the desert. He's always teaching us. It's class time. It's, it's instruction time. God, God's, God's growing us. God's deepening us. We don't have to try to avoid those. We don't have to pretend that they're not there because it is in the hard and bitter places that we grow. We have to avoid becoming hardened. We have to avoid becoming defensive. We have to avoid rebelling. Because in some of the hard places of life, we feel that tendency to run away when what God's trying to do is grow us up. God's trying to teach us. God's trying to strengthen us. But ultimately, we end up where we started the message. And that is that God is bringing sweet out of bitter and refreshing out of the desert. He is. 
He's always at work bringing us to refreshing places. He doesn't remove the hard places because he has things to teach us in the hard places. He doesn't help us avoid the hard places because we can't become who he wants us to become without them, but he's always leading us through those places. As, as Paul said, he's always working good. In all things, he's always working good. He's always bringing sweet. Look at how the story ends in verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. We've been in the desert for three days. God met our need in the desert, but where he was leading us was Elam where there's, where there's 12 springs. You know how many tribes there were? There were 12 tribes. And God provided more than enough overflowing never-ending springs for each one of them. I wasn't going to leave you in the desert, God was saying. Seventy palm trees. I sit in the shade. I wasn't going to abandon you in the heat. I wasn't going to abandon you when it was dry. I was not going to abandon you when it was bitter. I was bringing you somewhere. I was bringing you to a place of refreshing where I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to care for you you just got to keep moving through the desert. You got to keep moving through the hard places. You got to trust me. And this is a great message if you're sitting under a palm tree right now, right? This is a great message. If you're sitting at your spring under the palm tree enjoying your fruit, this is a great message if you're not in the desert. But this message is for those of us who find ourselves in the desert. It's great if you've come out of the desert and you're under the palm tree. That's awesome. You can testify to what God did. You can celebrate. But, but this passage is for those who find themselves three days into the desert and they're not sure what God's going to do right now. From thousands of years ago, the Hebrew children and Moses would say, keep walking. There's a spring ahead. There's a palm tree ahead. There's refreshing ahead. God hasn't forgot you. Listen to what he's teaching you. It's bitter right now. It's hard right now. God's leading you to a place of refreshing. Keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who heals and heals not just physically but heals our spirit heals us deep within our souls heals our emotions heals our faith instructs us in the desert brings us through dry times I pray specifically for those who the immediate is overshadowing what they know you did in the past because they don't know how this one's going to turn out. Help them to trust you more. Help them to listen to you more. Help them to keep walking. There's a spring ahead. There's shade ahead. There's refreshing ahead. Help us to just keep walking. And when we get there, help us to celebrate and sing and rejoice and, and to remember that moment the next time we're in the desert because it will come. You are the God who heals. And we need your healing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.